Well, um, we are starting a new series this morning called Quest for the Radical Middle. I don't know if you've observed this, but um, increasingly we found that uh, there are so many voices now on the internet uh, impacting and uh, changing and shaping lives through what they say. It used to be the fact that if you kind of left church, you kind of lost your platform to influence the church. But now, actually anyone with an internet connection can say pretty much anything they like and can gain a huge following. Now that has some huge benefits and some massively helpful parts of that, but also there's some very, very dangerous uh, parts of that. And what I've found is that as the these voices are coming loud and clear across the internet and more and more Christians across the globe subscribing to different things. What you find is extreme viewpoints, which actually wouldn't have had a voice in the church hardly at all, have now got a very loud voice into huge sectors of the, uh, sectors of the church. And it's so critical for us as believers to be able to think deeply and to be able to think clearly about this stuff and to know kind of where do we, where do we stand on some of these things. And so this is what we're going to be looking at in this series, Quest for the Radical Middle. Because one of the things that I've observed is that that very often the wisdom of God is found in the radical middle. I don't know if you've observed that. Wisdom from God is found in the radical middle. And I call it the radical middle because often the middle ground is seen as almost like the wishy-washy ground. You know, the kind of, the ground that, you know, it's more the extreme ground is the hardcore ground, where the middle ground is, it's a bit damp, isn't it, in the middle ground. But you know what, I've observed this, that very often God's wisdom is right bang smack in the middle ground. And it's actually very radical to hold that position because you're getting critiqued by people on both sides. You've got extreme points of view from both sides which will criticize you for holding that middle ground. And to be honest, personally, I'm never happier than when I'm being critiqued from both extremes because I think I've probably got something right. <laughs> There's something about this radical middle ground that I feel is important for us and we've been feeling as a team is important for us. So we're going to be looking at gaining God's wisdom in this quest for the middle, middle, uh, radical middle ground and uh, it's going to be key for us. So today we are talking about the not yet and the now of the kingdom of God. And you might think, well, I didn't know there was much controversy about this. There was huge controversy about this. And as you will see as we press on. So let's just pray. And we're just going to uh, ask God's wisdom and to speak to us this morning. God, we just thank you that you are with us. We thank you for this radical middle ground. And we pray that you'd help us as a community, as believers, as individuals to hold our, our, our ground, as it were, to, to see you and to find you and to pursue you in the space of the radical middle. And we just say, Lord, will you speak this morning? Will you open our hearts? For as we open our hearts to you, will you fill them with your truth, with your revelation? Will you help us, God, to find you and to, in this area of the kingdom, to see more and more of your kingdom break out onto this earth as we pursue you in the radical middle? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I grew up going to church, and uh, I became an atheist when I was 17, which wasn't a great uh, start to my Christian journey. But before that, up until that point, I'd always gone to church. But do you know what? In all those years of going to church, I never once heard a message on the kingdom of God. Not one single time did I hear anyone speak about the kingdom of God. And yet, if you look at Jesus' life in the Gospels, a hundred times in the Gospels, you hear this phrase, the kingdom of God. It's spoken about again and again and again. Jesus launched his ministry with this message. He said, repent for the kingdom of God. The kingdom of heaven is right here. It's at hand. And he finished his ministry right at the end. It says at the beginning of Acts, summarizing Jesus' ministry, it says for the last 40 days, he taught them about what? About the kingdom of God. This subject is so, so key to what Jesus and the disciples that followed him spoke on. And yet I never heard a message about it in, in over a decade. And the tragedy of it is that's not only my story. So many people have had that experience. 
I don't know about you, perhaps some of you grew up in church and had a similar experience you never really heard. The thing for me is when I finally understood the message of the kingdom, it totally changed my life. Even though, somebody get happy. Even though, even though, thank you, even though, slightly limited response, but that was okay, we'll go with it. Even though I'd been a Christian for a number of years, when I finally understood the message of the, of the kingdom, it totally, totally changed my life. It changed the way I think, it, it, it changed the way that I approach different situations, it, it changed the way I handle disappointment in my life, it changed the way I approach the world around me, it gave me a sense of purpose and understanding and destiny that I'd never understood before that point. Please smile or just look something. Thank you, Andrew. Just to show that you're with me. That's great. So if you're, a, if you're a new believer here, if you're a teenager, you're just starting out on your journey or you've become a Christian as an adult, this is key for you. But you know, also, if you've been a Christian for many years, this message is central to our faith. You've got to understand the kingdom. It rescued me from a life of just kind of sitting in the pew, as it were, sitting on the comfy chair, rocking up, feeling like, is this all there is? When I finally grasped the kingdom, it changed something of my perspective. We all need this. So let's just read John chapter 1, verse 43. Very early story in the life of Jesus. The next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and he said to him, follow me. And Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom the Moses in the law and the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, can anything good come from Nazareth? And Philip said to him, come and see. And Jesus saw Nathanael coming towards him and said, behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. And Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? And Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And Nathanael said, whoa. <laughs> Paraphrase. <laughs> Whoa, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And Jesus answered him, because I said I saw you under a tree, do you believe? I'm telling you this, you will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, I say, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Such a key story. And, and the first thing that you get out of it is this the revelation of the king. If you want to understand this concept, this message of the kingdom of God, you've got to understand the revelation of the king. That's what these guys get from this passage. We don't know what, what Philip, what Nathaniel really encountered in their lives with Jesus, but we do know this, it totally flipped their worlds upside down. They dropped everything to follow this king. Why? Because when you encounter Jesus, it changes everything. When you see who he really is, it changes everything. When you see the king, someone once said this, they said, if, if Jesus was a fictional character and we realized he was a fictional character, I would worship the person who created him. <laughs> Anyone else seen that? If someone had made Jesus up, I'd have to worship the person who made Jesus up because he's such an extraordinary person. There's no one like Jesus. There is no one like this king. He is so unique, such that these two guys dropped everything to follow him. In a moment, he was that extraordinary. The, the revelation of the kingdom starts with the revelation of the king. I, I don't know about you, I, I sometimes like to picture myself in the Bible stories because I find that as I picture myself in the story, it suddenly just comes alive in a fresh way. I, 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 have you seen his humility? 
Have you seen the humility of our king, of this king, who, who born as, a, I mean, the king of the universe, born as a carpenter's son in a nothing, is anything good come out of Nazareth? That kind of, that's where he lived. That's where he was brought. The humility of him, the, the, the pulling children onto his knee to, to bless their lives when his disciples are like, surely you're too important for, I mean, just, it's just extraordinary. He was so, he is so filled with, this is our king. <laughs> this is the king filled with humility. I, I don't know if you remember, if you've seen the Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. I, I know it's filled with a whole lot of mumbo jumbo. Uh, but there is one part of it which really spoke to me. It's the bit right at the end. They're looking for the, the cup of Christ, which they say is, you know, lost somewhere and guarded, whatever. Uh, and Indy's finding this, this cup, the one that he used in the Last Supper, uh, supposedly, and there's a scene at the end where they, they, there's this whole range of cups, these golden, gold, diamond-encrusted uh, cups around. And he has to choose which is the cup of Christ. You, you remember this scene? You've seen it. He has to choose which is the cup of Christ. And he starts to reach for one of these really flashy bling cups. And then he stops and he says, this isn't the cup of a carpenter. And he goes and picks up this kind of lowest one here, this lowly, you just that see in the middle, this lowly ceramic kind of insignificant cup. He says, this is, this is the one. And, and those filmmakers, they, they'd seen something <laughs> of the humility of, of our king. You've got to understand the king if you want to understand the king. The second thing, I, it, it, his, have you seen his compassion? I mean, just the compassion of Jesus, just as you read the Gospels, it just... It just, oh, just is amazing. You know, he's walking through the crowd. Everyone wants him. The important, the influencers, the significant, they all want his, a piece of him, a piece of his time, and yet he's walking in the crowd, and this woman who's just no one. I mean, she's got this massive medical issue, bleeding constantly, ostracized. She reach out, reaches out and touches his cloak because she knows if she just touches him, She'll be healed. And, and the disciples, he's like, someone touched me. They're like, everyone's touching you. And he's like, no, no, no. Someone touched me. And he stops and he will not move. It's awkward. It's embarrassing. He won't move on until he finds the one who touched him. And she, in her shame, in her disgrace, falls at his feet and admits that she was the one. And he says, daughter, your faith has healed you. Going, I mean, just the compassion. And, and, and the story happens when he's on the way to an influential guy's house whose daughter's sick, and, and that's the guy, and yet Jesus stops for this one. Someone, touch me. He sees, so, he has such compassion. Have you seen his peace? Have you got a, a glimpse of the peace that just exudes from Jesus? You know, in a world where the wars are crazier and crazier and breaking out all over the place, in a world where there is stress, I mean, who feels that stress just wanting to... Uh, it's just the society is just... Uh, that stress one. And yet, look at Jesus in the storm, standing on the boat. Grown men, experienced fishermen on that same boat, crying out, we're going to die! In the storm, Jesus, just picture yourself in that boat with him as he stands there with the waves crashing down and the wind howling and he just says three words two in his language peace 
be still. <sighs> Instantly it stops. I mean, this guy's carrying some peace. <laughs> this king is carrying peace that can still and will still every storm and every war and every turmoil in every human heart will be stilled as each one touches the king. As each one touches the king. Uh, I was praying just for a moment at a meeting a few weeks ago. A lady came up and she said, I've been a Christian. I said, I'm just in turmoil. I don't know what to do. Or what, I don't know what to do. So we just prayed for a few minutes, friend and I. And she wrote to me last week and she said this, for the first time in 30 years of being a Christian, I now feel precious to God. I feel I have the strength to carry on to serve him where he has planted me. <laughs> she touched the, the, the king of peace and it stilled the storm and gave her a way ahead and a future. Have you seen his joy? Have you seen the joy of our king? I used to, I think I thought Jesus was a little bit depressed. I mean, he's got a lot on. A little bit heavy. But when Caroline and I were getting married, she got changed up, upstairs in the last bridal suite and I was in the basement. I didn't mind. I mean, she needed, you know, she needed longer, let's be honest. She needed longer to get ready and it's just nice. For her. So I didn't mind, but I was in the, I was in the basement. It was all right. And, uh, and the interesting thing about it was out in the corridor, I had a moment that changed my life <laughs> in the corridor of the basement of the church where we were getting get married. Because Caroline obviously took, it seemed like hours to get ready. I'm sure it wasn't, but it seemed like, I took about five minutes. So I was like, right, okay. <laughs> so there I was for like an hour and a half or whatever waiting. And in the basement, I, I saw this picture. And this picture changed the trajectory, really. As I, I saw, not that one, the next one. As I saw, thank you. As I saw, and I just stood in that corridor on, and stared at this picture for a long time. As I suddenly realized, was this king a joyful being? Was he? And as I began to look at this picture and began to think about the Jesus that I was believing in and then the Jesus that actually as he really is, I suddenly realized he must have been a joyful being. <laughs> he must have been. I mean, people were attracted to him. They were drawn to him. If he was like going around grumpy and depressed and, oh, I've got to sort you lot out, no one's going to be drawn to that. They were drawn to this joy-filled being who, I mean, just look at this planet on a good day and look at the radiance of joy on a, on a spring morning. I mean, you can just see the joy of this king bursting forth in life. And I saw it on that day that we were getting married. And it changed the trajectory as I began to understand our king, this king, he's a joy-filled king. Some of you have been brought up even in churches. You just The impression you've walked away with is Jesus, slightly depressed, pretty grumpy, mostly with me. That needs to be broken. You need to see the king of joy. I mean, you see it when, when the disciples come to him. You know, he's, he's sent them out to do the stuff that he's doing. Heal the sick, set free the press. They go out, they come back, they're like, it works for me. <laughs> Anyone else had that experience? It even works for me. <laughs> when I pray, things happen. I mean, they're just full of themselves. And Jesus, instead of trying to go a little bit above them, he just enters into their joy. <laughs> It says he was filled with joy in the Holy Spirit. Why? Because he doesn't want to keep it to himself. He wants to give it away. 
He wants everyone to enter into this joy. Have you seen the joy of your king? Have you seen, have you seen the grace and truth of this king? Have you got a picture, a glimpse of it? I mean, you know, lots of people speak truth, but there's no tenderness to it. Anyone know someone who speaks truth that there's not an ounce of tenderness? There's no kindness. Some of you are like, I'm sitting next to them. I don't want to put a hand up. It's awkward. <laughs> Some of you are like, I am that person. <laughs> you know, that it's, it's easy, isn't it, to speak truth, but with no kindness, no love, no tenderness, no compassion. Yet Jesus, he's filled with compassion and grace, yet he speaks truth. He's unflinching with the truth. Un, unmoved with the unmoved, unmovable from the truth, and yet at the same time speaks with such kindness to change the world around him. I mean, you just got to look at Zacchaeus. You know, this guy, a tax collector for the Romans, a Jewish guy, a tax collector for the Romans. Jesus walks into his world, and Zacchaeus. I just, I just don't under, think we understand quite how hated Zacchaeus was. I mean, this guy, imagine we had lost the Second World War and have been occupied as a nation for the last 70 years. So your grandfather, that was his experience. Your grandfather, your grandmother, your, your father, your mother, that was their experience. That's all they'd ever known was occupied. And not only that, people from Bedford had been, Bedfordians were raising taxes for the Nazi war machine, oppressing people, stealing from people to keep the whole thing going. Those people, that's what Zacchaeus was. Can you imagine how hated this guy was? And yet Jesus, he's, he's, he wants to see Jesus a little bit short, I'm sure a little bit freaked out by the crowds thinking they might turn on him, climbs a sycamore tree. Up the tree, Jesus walks underneath, stops, word of knowledge, gets his name, Zacchaeus. <laughs> Come down to that, from that tree. I'm coming to your house for a meal. Great. I don't know what happened. We don't know what happened over that meal. All we know is this. At the end of that meal, Zacchaeus says, if I've robbed anyone, you can have four times back what I've robbed you, and I'm giving half of what, I, uh, I, what I've got to the poor. Grace and truth calls him out of sin into life by, it, by, by having dinner with him. <laughs> this is the king. This is our king. And, and the revelation of the kingdom starts in this place with a revelation of the king, a revelation of who Jesus is. And Kaya, who's 13 now, I mean, how did my daughter get to 13? I, I mean, I know how, but uh, she's 13 and, and she kissed Ethan, who's seven, on the nose the other day. And uh, he started to rub it. And she said, Ethan, are you rubbing that kiss off? He said, no, I'm spreading it around. <laughs> I'm spreading it around. <laughs> Rare moment for tenderness from a seven-year-old there. <laughs> but I love that picture because I thought, do you know what, as, as Christians, that's exactly what's happened to us. We have been kissed by the king. And our job, that's what, that's what Philip does, isn't it? Come and see. <laughs> Spread it around. Come and see. Come and see. Come and see this king. We don't follow a philosophy. We've come into this divine romance, this relationship with this amazing, un, uh, unexpressibly beautiful creator of the universe. And our job now, spread it around. It's as simple as that. It's as simple or as complicated as that. Spread it around. I love what Philip does when he, he encounters the king. Immediately he's like, come and see. 
Come and see. I think sometimes we get too caught up with all the, the complexities of what we think we've got to do, answering people's questions and all that kind of stuff. Well, that's important, but really what it boils down to is this. Come and see. <laughs> Come and meet this king that I have met. That's the call on each of us. But the second part of this is this revelation of the kingdom which comes to these guys in this story and beyond this story. But you see in this story the revelation of God's kingdom. The king has come to bring his kingdom. And he, he gives them a, a little window on what that kingdom looks like. Firstly, that the kingdom is supernatural. I mean, you see that. He has this word of knowledge about Nathaniel under a tree. It just changes the guy's life. I love that stuff. The kingdom of God is a supernatural kingdom, and we as a people are called to live in that supernatural. I mean, I just can't get enough of it. I love it. I mean, if those of you here last week, we had a, I gave a word of knowledge at the end uh, about a guy with, uh, someone with um, a chronic panic, panic attacks. Phil had a word about someone who, whose father's was, was name was James, and, and, the, and there's something about a, a, a red car, a red vehicle. And a guy responds at the end, and he says, that, that word was for me. And I know often you don't get to hear the result of those words. You just hear them given, and then you never know what happens. But that guy came forward. He said, that word was for me. And I said, how do they relate? He said, well... He said, firstly, my father's name was James. And he said, I drive a red car. And he said, I've had chronic panic attacks for a long time. I said, well, how do they relate together? He said, I think they started when my dad walked out when I was 14. And I saw him one more time before he died. And that was the, the, the seeds of it. And the kingdom of God broke into his life <laughs> through that word. And I love that, and we want more of that. But, but the other thing as well you've got to get from this picture is the picture of how the kingdom of God breaks into the natural and starts in the natural. Do you see, can anything good from, come from Nazareth? It's in the ordinary, it's in the everyday that we see and, and encounter this kingdom, that this king breaks into the, to the, just the, the ordinary stuff of life that he is there in the midst of it from Nazareth and Bedford and Milton Keynes and ordinary places like that. And in your life and in my life, he is the king who breaks in in that place. And so often we think it's got to be in the wow and the big and how many Twitter followers and how many Facebook likes. But Jesus said the kingdom is like a seed and it's tiny and it starts in the insignificant. And we've got to be ones who see that and who look for that. See, some of the people that you touch in life that's why Jesus said, even a glass of water given in my name doesn't lose its reward. Because sometimes that glass of water, that's just it, was a glass of water. Sometimes that glass of water, the ripples of that will literally change a whole family, even a whole community's life. The kingdom starts in the small. Keep your love on <laughs> wherever you go because you never know the impact it's going to have. So the kingdom is in the amazing, it's in the supernatural, but it's in the natural. And we are called, like Philip, to be signposts might not know all the answers, come and see. Come and see this king. Come and meet this king. Come to my small group. Come to my missional community. Come on a Sunday. Come and see. Come and spend some time with me. Come and see what I have seen in this King Jesus. And then the other thing that's important in this whole kingdom thing is to understand it grows, the good grows with the bad. The both go together. Jesus, not in this story, but in another, he tells a parable where he says, see, a farmer sowed some seed, and the seeds go in, and in the night, the enemy comes and sows weeds on the same place. And the, and the workers say, should we go and clear out the weeds uh, so that the, 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 the harvest can grow on its own? And it, the, the farmer says, no, let both grow together. We'll sort it out at the end of the day. I don't know if you're like me, but I like everything to be clean and tidy, and it's either good or it's bad. I don't do grey. I don't like grey. I don't like mixture. It's good or it's bad. But Jesus said the kingdom's not like that. 
And some people come to church, they get excited by that, and then they, they get upset by someone. They think, oh, well, this can't be God then. Listen, I have been hurt in the church more than any organization that I've ever otherwise been part of. I'm still here. Why? Because the king... Thank you, Jeff. It's one, at least one of you are happy about that. Because the, someone, someone in the back like, I'm going to upset him some more. He might actually, he might actually ultimately go. No. But the reality, the reality is this, because the church is the bride of the king, and the king loves his bride, and I can't love the king without loving his bride. So through the bruises and the pains and the difficulties of relationships, because in any group you're going to get that, I'm, I'm in. I'm not going anywhere because the church is the blood of Christ. And, and I realize that it grows, the good and the bad grows together, and it's up to the king to sort it out. And he will sort it out in the end, what was good and what was bad. And so it's the reality that both of those grow together. And the other thing about this is this. I don't know if you've ever heard this expression. I think it might be an American one. Obviously, my wife's American, so it all gets a bit jumbled in my mind. But this expression, if life gives you lemons, make lemonade. Is that, has anyone ever heard that expression before? Okay, well, the Americans know it very well. There you go. Uh, I've brought it here. Hooray! <laughs> if life gives you lemons, very well-known expression. If life gives you lemons, make lemonade. It's not in the Bible, but I tell you what, it should be. <laughs> I, I just think it's because I didn't have lemonade. Uh, the reality is... It is such a kingdom expression because what it says is this, that no matter what you get dealt in life, from that very place, you can make something good. From a kingdom mindset, if you see the reality of the lemons in your life, your immediate response can be, well, let's make some lemonade then. In the pain, in the mess of it, out of it, comes lemonade. And you see that when people get this. I mean, I just, I, I, I won't embarrass him, but, but Liam, who leads our Rafter Rain missional community, amazing group who are reaching those who have most been impacted by darkness and brokenness. And he's doing a phenomenal job. Talk to him about his story and why he's doing it. Why? Because out of the lemons of his life, out of the roughness of his own life, a king walked in and said, son, I'm going to teach you how to reign. And so now he thinks, well, what do I do? I just meet and mix and work with the people who were like me. I reach them because God has made lemonade out of the lemons of my life and I'm going to do the same. I help other people do the same thing. This is the reality of a kingdom mindset. You, you live with the good that comes out of the bad. And so much of your pain, actually, if you will bring it to the king, he will turn it into something of great fruit. It's how he works. We don't like it. We want good. We don't want bad. But that's what he says it's going to be. It's going to be like this. Out of that pain, out of that difficulty, he will bring much harvest and much fruit. And then lastly, just as we land on this, is this. The kingdom is now and it's not yet. And this is the kind of crux of where we were going. Because Jesus taught both that the kingdom has arrived, that it's now. He says in Mark 1.15, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. But he also teaches that it's still future, that it's not yet. Luke 21, 31. So also, when you see these things take place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. He teaches both that it's now and that it's not yet. And the radical middle is able to hold both of those positions. The, the, the issue that you find is many groups, even in the church, will, will default to one of those extremes. They either have too much kingdom now, they have too great an expectation, 
for kingdom now. Now, you think, can you have too great of expectation? I think if you put it the wrong way, you can. And what I mean by this is this. Some people will go around boldly proclaiming, everybody's going to be healed. Now, ultimately, everyone is going to be healed. But do I believe that everyone will be healed this side of eternity, that everyone is healed in this life? I don't think that's the reality that we see. Even in the New Testament, Paul says, I left Trophimus, his close friend, sick in Miletus. He leaves his close friend sick, yet a few chapters later, a few years later in his life, he visits an island, and on that island, it says they brought every sick person on the island to Paul, and he healed a lot of them. (laughs) And so some people are building their theology around Trophimus and say, yeah, yeah, well, God doesn't heal many people, and others are building their theology around the island and saying, well, everyone's going to get healed. And I would say there's a contention, a quest for the radical middle, which is the middle ground. We proclaim that God's normative will is healing, but we don't always see it in this life. Why? I don't know, but I'm pressing on for more. And it's this middle ground. And what you get if you go to this extreme of, of, the, of everything's got to be had in the now is ultimately you get disappointment. And I've met so many Christians who are just in that place of disappointment. They've been over-promised and under-delivered and they're just racked with disappointment. They're racked with disappointment. I, I read this phrase recently. Someone said this, scratch any cynic and you will find a disappointed idealist. That is so profound, actually. It's going to, it's actually changed my thinking on how I'm going to deal with cynics. Scratch any cynic and you will find a disappointed idealist. It's that reality that happens when you just get too much unqualified, over-promised now of the kingdom. But the other extreme is this. Too much kingdom, not yet. And where does that lead? It means everything gets pushed into the tomorrow. Everything gets pushed into the not yet. And ultimately, you just end up with a passive Christianity that has got no sense of expectation or excitement. It just rolls through life. Just, well, whatever, manana, whatever will be, will be. It just, just doesn't have any sense of excitement or expectation for God to break in. And that equally is a ditch that we've got to avoid. Every, dis, dis, every difficult circumstance is met with a passive, well, I wonder what God's going to teach me through this. Now, listen, the, the, the message of the Bible is not that life is a schoolroom where God is teaching you. It's that this world that we live in is a battlefield where God's kingdom is invading. <laughs> and you can imagine a soldier in the, in, the, in the trench, if his default response is, well, it's the, the fighting's pretty thick, I wonder what my commanding officer is trying to teach me. Well, he might learn some things in the trench, but his default response is not to learn something, it's to fight. <laughs> it's to get up and start shooting. And so much of the church is caught in this place where they're desperately trying to work out what's God teaching me when they should be getting up and fighting and pushing back the darkness and saying, God, your kingdom invade in this area. Now, can God teach in those places? Of course he can teach. He can teach through anything. But ultimately, that's not the point. The point is, we are on the planet to say, God, your kingdom come, your will be done. We will one day see the king ruling over every life and over every circumstance. And our job in the meantime is to stand in the gap. I loved what um, Churchill said when he had been trying to persuade the Americans to join in, in with the war, couldn't persuade them. The Japanese did it for him when they bombed Pearl Harbor, 1941. Roosevelt, Cable Churchill, he said, today we're all in the same boat and it's a ship which which will not and cannot be sunk. Churchill later said, that night I slept the sleep of the saved and thankful. (laughs) He knew the war was over, 
He knew that as soon as the Yanks invaded, uh, came on their side, the war was over. It was game over for the, for the Axis powers because he had the full weight of the American military behind him. He knew it was game over. He slept the sleep of the, of the grateful and the thankful, the saved and the thankful. And you know, I believe that's how we're meant to live as believers. <laughs> Are we in a war? Absolutely. Should we be sleeping in peace and resting, knowing that Christ has won the victory? Absolutely. <laughs> We sleep the sleep of the saved and the thankful. He has won. This is not a passive Christianity. This is the life of the radical middle. We are those who were, are, are looking forward to the great party. I, I love helping Caroline and Kai as they prepare for parties. I, I was helping her. She prepared for a birthday party yesterday. And I got rebuked as I ate some things that I shouldn't have eat, eaten. <laughs> Dad, we only just made enough. Oh. <laughs> Dad, we only just made enough. Do you know what? God has not just only just made enough. <laughs> he has made more than enough. And our job is to start eating the fruits of this incoming kingdom now. <laughs> to enjoy it now. <laughs> to say it's invading now. Come and enjoy as much as we can now. Is there mystery? Absolutely. But we're to live in this quest for the radical middle. And to live in a place where we feel the crackling energy of the kingdom through us all the time. Do you feel that? Do you feel that? That crackling energy, that, that unknown God could do anything in this circumstance. That I, I've lived for much of my Christian life not feeling that. I tell you, I feel it now. I feel when I go into situations and, and circumstances, I feel the crackling God could do anything right now energy. Not all the time, but it, it, I'm like a misfiring car. You know, <laughs> I'm feeling it more often than I, than I used to. I feel this energy, and, and it's brilliant. It's how we should be living as believers in every circumstance. When you go, some of you, you, there's a door in your life. I see this picture. There's a door in your life. You walk through that door, and you've met frustration and disappointment, and that's all you expect when you walk through it. I want to urge you after this message, as you grab that handle this week, maybe it's your workplace, maybe it's your home, start to feel the crackling energy of the kingdom. That when you walk through that door, who knows what you might, might need. Has it been the same for the last decade? Well, it might be different tomorrow, <laughs> or the day after, or the day. We're to live on the, on the cusp of hope. We're to live with a, with a kingdom that breaks in in the unexpected. When we don't, when we don't think it's going to break in, it breaks in. It changes lives. It sets people free. Has, has that prayer not been answered? Well, maybe it will be tomorrow. We're to live like that, a people of hope, knowing that our king, full of peace, full of compassion, full of power, full of mercy, full of grace, full of truth, is bringing his kingdom onto the planet. He's bringing it, and he's using you and I to do it. And you know what? It fills him with joy when we join him, particularly in the lemons of our life, and say, God, let your kingdom come. Let your kingdom come out of this place. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's pray, shall we? Thank you, Father. If you're not yet a believer this morning and this is the morning you want to join with this king, then I'd urge you, join up. Sign up. Sign up. Perhaps you've seen a picture of Jesus that blew out of your mind what you thought Jesus was like. Just pray with me now. Jesus, I give my life to you. I want to be like Philip, like Nathaniel, and join with you. 
and follow you to see your kingdom come to see the world changed I want to live for this purpose